Thank you very much, Ali, for prayer and for scripture. Before we get started, <clears throat> well done, moms and dads. But not everybody has to go out the back. Some of you can go this way. Because I like to say hi to the kids. And there were no kids to say hi to this time. But that went very well. Very good at following instructions. Thank you, peeps. Um, we are beginning a new series this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. And as I, I think I alluded to this last week, I said that this is a, a series uh, that I've always wanted to preach. It's probably been eight years that I've been thinking about preaching this series. And for various reasons, the time wasn't right or, or whatever, but we finally get to do it. I'm extremely excited about digging into this sermon with you. Three chapters in the book of Matthew that are absolutely remarkable, astounding. Um, the title of the series is Through the Looking Glass. Can we put that, that graphic up for a minute? Through the Looking because it's also an awesome graphic. Kate makes such great graphics for, for our worship uh, series and stuff. Through the Looking Glass, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why in the world is this series called Through the Looking Glass? Some of you probably know that this is the title of a Lewis Carroll children's fantasy book. It's the sequel to uh, the book um, Alice in Wonderland. This one is Through the Looking Glass. And it describes the trip that Alice makes when she discovers a magical mirror, that's the looking glass, in her room at home, and she steps through that mirror into an alternate universe. This is a world that is utterly different, excuse me, from the world that she knows, and it's in this world things work differently than they do in the world that she comes from. So, so for example, uh, in order to, uh, if you want to stay in place, you're supposed to run. Uh, so if you try to run away from something, it actually gets closer to you when you do that. Uh, you have nursery uh, rhyme characters that actually exist in real life, so to speak. Uh, chess pieces are actually soldiers uh, in the service of various kings and queens. It's, it's, it's like everything in this world is kind of backwards, because it's an alternative universe where the rules of the universe that Alice comes from don't actually apply. And Alice has to figure out how that universe works and, and how that world works. And she has to, to learn to live according to this different set of principles than she was familiar with. And the Sermon on the Mount is very much the same. The Sermon on the Mount describes life in an alternate kingdom, in an alternate universe. Think about this. What was Jesus doing before he preached the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it said in our, our reading, it said in verse 17 of chapter 4, it said, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Jesus has been baptized and commissioned by God to do his ministry on earth. He has gone out into the desert and he has met Satan head on who tries to tempt him and tries to, to get him off his gate and tries to, to derail his mission. And Jesus is faithful and refuses to let that happen. And Jesus begins his public ministry and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other Gospels, it'll be the language of the kingdom of God has come near. But it's the same kingdom, okay? Jesus was preaching this kingdom from the very start of his ministry. In fact, when he begins his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about it as well. He says, and this is, this is chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to understand the Sermon on the Mount, and what... Jesus is trying to accomplish in preaching this remarkable sermon. You have to understand this thing called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What on earth is it? What is this kingdom? Well, it's pretty simple, frankly. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven can be found anywhere and everywhere where you find Christ's rule. That's the kingdom of God. And that's one of the reasons that Matthew uses this language of the kingdom of heaven because when God is reigning, when God is the authority over which everyone is willingly submitting and living their lives, then it's like heaven has come down to earth. And so wherever you see that Jesus is, is uh, regarded as Lord, where he is regarded as king, and where people who not only have what's called God consciousness, that is, a knowledge that God actually exists and is there, but they also have what's called God submission. They are willingly bending their knee to this sovereign. That is the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Hmm. Wherever you find the kingdom of God... The rules that you once thought normal are turned upside down. Because you see, in Jesus' kingdom, his vision for life, his vision for the good life, for what, what makes a meaningful, fulfilling life, are completely different than the kingdom that you come from. And no place illustrates this as well as the Sermon on the Mount. It is the premier illustration of what life in the kingdom of God looks like and how radically different it is from life in any other kingdom. And we'll just call those any other kingdoms various versions of the one kingdom, the kingdom of the world. So you're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of the world and the principles and values and statutes of those two kingdoms are constantly clashing with one another. For example, I can, I'll just throw out a few of them. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. That's what Jesus says happens in his kingdom. And if you know anything about what life is like in the business world around here, <laughs> um, it's the ambitious, we would think, or the, the, the driven, the go-getter, the proud. They're the ones who inherit the earth, not in Jesus' kingdom. Or how about this? Jesus says, when marriage is hard, when marriage is so incredibly hard that you are thinking of throwing in the towel. You are thinking that maybe this was the wrong decision. When you're thinking that perhaps everyone would be better, including the children, if we were to just part ways, Jesus says, no, don't give up. Don't divorce. 
Lean into your conflict. Go through the hardships with that spouse. Because on the other side, you will find a joy that you cannot know without the process of going through the hardship itself. Here's another one. Um, if you live in the kingdom of God, if you are part of the kingdom of God, you should consider hardship, suffering, even persecution for your faith if you are His, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you are to live your life according to His will and not for yourself, you should consider facing suffering and hardship and possibly even persecution. You should consider that normal. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you should consider yourself blessed. You should consider it an honor if you have to face persecution from the world around you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. In our culture, as far as I can tell, the name of the game is avoid suffering at all costs. Suffering isn't normal. Suffering's an aberration. It's an invasion. It's something that you should avoid. It's something that you should find someone culpable for and make them pay. Jesus goes so far as to say when people malign you, when people persecute you, when people are hard are hard-hearted towards you, you should not hit back the way they have hit you, but no, you should actually turn the other cheek. He goes so far as to say that you should not hate your enemy, but you should love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That's life in the kingdom of God. That's what life is like when Jesus is your king. So what you have in the Sermon on the Mount is you have the absolutely most complete picture of Christian counterculture that you could find. You want to go against the flow? I know like when you're young, well when I was young, and it's probably still the case when you're young, when you're young what you want to do is you want to carve out, you don't want to be like me, okay? I'm middle-aged, I wear nice shirts with a sweater and khaki pants. Like, I'm so far from cool. You don't want to look like this. When you're a teenager, when you're young, you want to be counterculture. You want to be, you want to be cutting edge. You want to be looking at things differently than the, the old man, right? Well, if you want to be counterculture today, young people, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. That's about as radical a thing as you could do in today's culture. And what does it look like to give your life to Jesus? Well, it looks like the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's interesting. Hmm. Sometimes people say, you know what we need to do? Christians, this is Christians saying, you know what we need to do? What we need to do with the world around us is we need to show people that we're not really that much different from them. I've said this myself, okay? Like, we have to break down those preconceived notions that they have about Christians being weird. And so what we try to do is we try to say to people, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not that different from you. I'm, 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 I'm a, just a regular guy or a rather regular gal just like you. But, but here's the idea. This is what we're actually saying to people. It just dawned on me. What we're saying to people essentially, if, if we think that the way to make the gospel attractive to them is to make ourselves look more like them, 
kind of what we're doing is, is we're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, but I've also added Jesus. That's the difference. So Jesus has kind of topped up my life. You know what I mean? You're not religious, I'm religious. So what I've done is I've just sort of sprinkled a little bit of Jesus dust on top of my life. But I'm, I'm kind of like you. Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount to show us that, that he is not in the business of topping up our life. In fact, Jesus is in the business of deconstructing our lives. And then rebuilding the, the power of his Holy Spirit according to a way that we as human beings could never have imagined ourselves. To the point, in fact, that you reflect the character of Jesus enough to at least get a taste of the opposition you faced. Let me say that again. He's going to reconstruct your life and my life by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we image Jesus, we reflect his character at least enough to experience a little bit of the opposition that he faced. The Sermon on the Mount transports us into a new kingdom. And what that means, therefore, then, is that this kingdom, Christ's kingdom, the kingdom described in the Sermon on the Mount, is a supernatural kingdom. In other words, its origins are supernatural. Why do I, why do I emphasize that? Here's why. Because I have heard it said by people that, you know, they say, look, I'm, I don't believe in Jesus, but I really like the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not a Christian, but Jesus was a very wise man, a very ethical teacher. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I say, yeah, yeah, I like that. Don't judge, man. Stop judging me. That's good. I agree with that. But what it just shows you is that you don't really read the Sermon on the Mount carefully. I like the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. Have you ever actually thought that through? I'm supposed to treat others always the way that I want them to treat me. Well, truth is, guys, I want you to treat me a lot better than you do. And if you are honest with yourself, you want to be treated a lot better than other people treat you or the way you treat other people. I want, other, I want to treat other people well, but I want to be pampered. This, the Sermon on the Mount, if you read it the way it was written, if you really wrestle with what it says, you should be saying, God, help me. This is impossible. I cannot do that. Gandhi praised the Sermon on the Mount because he didn't read it carefully. Nietzsche cursed the Sermon on the Mount because he understood the implications. We're going to study the Sermon on the Mount together for... I don't even know how long. We didn't put an end date on this thing. But here's my prayer. My prayer is that you will see its penetrating depth, its lofty ideals, its soaring standards, its exquisite wisdom for living. But most of all, my prayer is that you will see in the Sermon on the Mount its glorious author. 
Because ultimately, the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of Jesus. Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I am the Sermon on the Mount. And it will never be true of you and me that the Sermon on the Mount sort of reflects our character well till we first see that the Sermon on the Mount is about Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount will never describe your life until we first see that it describes his. Because Jesus came to be the person you should be. Jesus came to accomplish the life of perfect obedience in the Son of, in the, to the law of God that you and I were supposed to live by and were unable to do it. And he came and he said, I will do it for them. This is a picture of perfect humanity. Imagine if all of us lived like Jesus, if everybody practiced the Sermon on the Mount and obeyed it to the letter perfectly, what would the world be like? But we can't do it. But Jesus did do it. He lived this life that you and I could never have lived. And then he died the substitutionary death on the cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion, for our refusal to live according to this king value that is set before us. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. What's the righteousness you should be hungering and thirsting for? The righteousness of Christ. So, what we're going to do today is, I'm going to preach to you the greatest sermon ever preached. The author of that sermon is Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Christ the son of the living God. It seems bizarre to me that we would spend weeks and weeks and weeks listening to sermons on a sermon without actually listening to the sermon. So, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, turn your attention to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are you are those who per, are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth and if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that any brother who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go. Be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, or for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the, 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on their street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and Wash your face so that it will be, not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll be see, able to see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But, and many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, the profundity of your word knows no end. We ask that as we embark on this study of your sermon preached those many centuries ago to your people, calling them to a life in your kingdom, that you would speak it afresh to our hearts. Some of us in this room are not part of your kingdom. We pray, Father, that through this study, they would enter that kingdom and find eternal life. Others of us, Lord, are part of your kingdom, but we know so little of what it means to live according to your kingdom principles. We need to be reprogrammed and retrained. And we long for you to do that in us over these weeks so that we would reflect the character of our Savior whose life perfectly in every way imaged for us and illustrated for us what it means to live out of the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for this word. Thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Cut deep in us, Lord, with your word. Remove any cancer that's in our hearts that stands in the way of submitting completely to you, we ask. And may we find the joy that comes from living in submission to our Lord 